Welcome to the Operatic Pastcast, a presentation and preservation of operatic memories and impressions, produced by Donald Cullop. Episode 118. On January 23, 1962, the BBC produced a program called Prima Donna, A Meeting with an Opera Star. Introduced by Alistair Selway, the 84-year-old Scottish soprano Mary Garden spoke with Mado Stewart on subjects such as when to stop and retire, creating the role of Melisande, advice for beginning singers, the role of Carmen, teaching, sopranos Nellie Melba and Louisa Tetrazzini, working with Richard Strauss and Jules Massenet. The listener will hear excerpts from Louise and Carmen. From Scotland, we present Prima Donna, a meeting with an opera star. The program is introduced by Alistair Selway. exciting and revolutionary operas of the 20th century, Salome by Richard Strauss. This program is about the prima donna who created that role, among many others. She is a soprano, she is Scottish, and her name is Mary Garden. I had a wonderful career, and when the time came to stop, I said, this is the last. I decided myself, this is the last. When you get over the age of looking like what you're singing, then don't do it. Don't do it. Because you have to always be at the top and anxious to get it right. Prima Donna is a title which suggests much more than appears in the words themselves. Most of us imagine a talented, colourful and dominating artist who dictates the circumstances of her own and other people's lives. For more than 30 years, 
Mary Garden was a prima donna in the literal meaning of the words. And in every other meaning, she still is. What is a man to a courier? What is it? It's a very charming person and a very nice companion, but he must be bored sitting in the evening, always drinking coffee. When you are on the stage, that's a different thing. You don't have to bother about men. Oh, I just love the stage. Mary Garden is now 84 years old. Above all, she is associated with Claude Debussy and the greatest of his operas, the lovely, impressionistic, infinitely subtle Pelleas et Mélissande. Mary Garden created the role of Pelleas nearly 60 years ago. She lives now in a house in Aberdeenshire, and it was there, on the side, that she spoke recently to Maddo Stewart. Looking back on your whole career, what is the thing that stands out in your mind as the most important? Pelleas, most difficult. Debussy is the most difficult. Yes. Because you have to sing him as he writes, not as you want to. Everything that he wrote, every word of Melisande or the other characters, has the right music tone. And they mustn't sing their way, they must sing his way. Because everything that she does, or her husband did, or Peleas, it was perfectly human, and you had to make it that way. How was it that you created this role of Melisande? Because Debussy met me, and when I sang for him at the beginning of it, he stopped and he said, there's no one ever in the world sang my music like you. You don't sing it. You sing talking. It's true. The virtue should pour. It should not be sung. Not hollered like some of them would. No virtue should pour to let them be heard. But if you have your voice here in your head, out of you. Yes. No virtue should pour. I don't hold the power the way they do. That'll go all over the house. Oh, I don't know. I have just my own way of doing things. I was just different from anybody else, happily. Prima Donna. Sometimes, at 84, Mary Garden is forgetful. But when she is, one feels it's because she chooses to forget. One feels, as with all the great prima donnas, that life and art are inextricably bound up together. Art is selective. And so, therefore, is the memory of life itself. Debussy and I were great friends. But he never told me anything about Melisande. We used to talk about Golo and all those people. But he never said anything very much about Melisande until I went on to the rehearsals. And then he came up and we talked about this and that and the next thing. Oh, you have to, you know. You have to know what the composer has in his brain. It's not your brain, it's his brain. Oh, Fascinating. I could, I could talk and tell you so many things, but I can't remember them very much now. When a woman has a career, as a lot of them do, when they say they're done, they are done. And don't begin and say, well, I'll sing this and sing that for the public. When you're done, no. you're done. You can't go all through life singing all these operas as a young person. And then I used to be just as important about going and having myself weighed every first of the month. And if it was that much over what I should have, I'd just go and not eat so much. Yes. Oh, you have to be so careful. If you're before the public as a great success, if you're not, well, it doesn't make any difference. If no. you're the stomach or not the stomach. But I tell you, I was frightened to death. I'd get fat. 
Yes. And your legs, your two. Yes. This part of the leg, fat, is the ugliest thing on it's the stage. Very ugly. I was never fat, thank heaven. It's true that Debussy was in love with you. Oh, no. Never. He may have been in love with my work, but I never was in love with anybody whom I created. <laughs> no, no. Not in the musical world. They're you, all crazy. You remember that you used to dine regularly every week with Debussy and his wife, Lily. I don't know if his wife always was there. No. Well, regularly with Debussy. What did you talk about? I suppose we talked about music. He may have told me about his life. I don't know. Yes. I wondered if you'd discussed his music and whether he'd asked your advice. I don't think... Well, we discussed it, but... He was always right. He knew. He used to sing it. When he came to my home, he used to play it for me and not sing it, but Freydunny, as they say in yes. France. And he said, now, Mary, that's, that's the, the, the color, the color of the voice I want. It was always the color. You had to put your voice into the color of the people you're singing. He loved that. Always. Because when you sing Carmen, that's entirely different from Mavie's song. Well, I have to color your voice, but in another way. In quite another way. You have to be very impertinent, very rude, but not in Mavie's own. You have to be very careful and very sad. Oh, it's a lovely opera. You have a certain amount of correspondence of Debussy, which you have kept. No. You haven't kept it? No. Nothing. I haven't even his photographs. You threw it all away. I haven't any of the photographs. You threw all the letters away. Everything. Yes. Why should I bother? The only thing that interested me was my work, was my engagements, was my creating operas. I created most all I sang. The new ones, you know. Nobody to touch them. Now they can do what they like. I don't know what they're doing now. But Debussy and Massenet and all of so many, I can't think of them now. But you never kept their letters. It didn't interest letters? you a bit. Not a no, bit. No, You threw them away. Burnt them. You burnt them? Yeah. Just a lot of paper in your drawers there. Oh, I don't care. I have it all in my mind. I think of the people I like, and I forget the people I don't like. You see, so why keep them? <laughs> There's no calling back the totality of the past, but we can hear echoes of it, wonderfully persistent echoes. Only this month, a long-playing record has been issued which contains the voice of Mary Garden in the first role she ever sang, Charpentier's Louise. The date was the 13th of April, 1900. The place was the Opéra Comique in Paris. And on that night, Friday the 13th, a young girl from Aberdeen was asked to take over the leading role in the opera. As she remembers it, she had no nervousness. If you know what you're going to do, you have no reason to be nervous. And I knew what I was going to do.
advise a young person who was a singer today of the most important thing to see to in their lives as a singer, what would you say it should be? Well, it would be very difficult that because they're all so fond of society. They, they must never lose in their mind anything that can help them to be somebody great. You have to have all your strength and all your brilliance, all your mind, and know the conductor, know the orchestra, know everything. It's a great oh. interest. It's a very fascinating thing to have a great career. Because after all, it's not a person that we entertain, it's a bond that we entertain. Everybody. Not a person. I don't care whether a man or a woman sits in the front row and doesn't like me. I don't give a damn. I'm singing for the whole of the public. And I'm living for the whole of the public. And if they don't like me, well, they don't have to come. And when a young girl begins, it's very difficult to let everything go but that one thing. Study her words, study what she has to say, which will always be in another language than hers, and study the music. That takes a lot out. I used to go to bed night after I'd been studying Peleas, we'll take, because that was a very difficult opera. And just see it all through me. I knew exactly what I was going to do. Just as much as I knew what I was going to sing. I always did most of my thinking in bed or in a room alone. Never received anybody. When I did receive people, that's all right. But there were days when I didn't receive anybody. Just wanted to keep that all in my head. So when I went on the stage, I was perfectly ready to do as the composer wished, because I always worked with the composers. Have you ever taught? Oh, no. Oh, no, why not? Why should you want to put anything into anybody's brain that won't go in? But surely uh, you had enormous experience behind you, and it was valuable to young people. Or do you think they should jolly well learn for themselves jolly as you well did? Learn themselves. They could go to the opera house and see it and say, oh, I'm going to try work that way or I'm going to work this way. But they ought to go and see it. You can't give anybody talent. They have it or they haven't. One or the other. You never taught anybody? No. Did you have yourself a very particular personal technique in your singing? Yes, very much so, thank God. Could you tell me what this particular technique was? Oh, it was just given to me by God. It was a natural technique. Oh, natural. My voice carried in as big a place as you want to give me. You couldn't get anything bigger than the second opera house that they built. In, Chica in Chicago. Chicago. Mm. Great, enormous place with three or four balconies. And you were just lost in it, you know. It was always filled. I don't see what they heard, but anyway, they were up there. Moreover, they couldn't see properly. No, couldn't so see. So that somebody oh. like you, who used every bit of your body to express yeah. yourself, you were lost. Yeah. You? you used your hands a great deal. Yeah, all the time. I, but natural, not not because I wanted to. You didn't use them in sort of formal gestures. No. It's just that it came naturally How it to came. you. How it like came. a French person. What I was saying. Yes. French. Yes. Oh. Now, uh, I never sang in uh, any other language. I sang a little bit in Italian, but I like the French. I love it. 
people. Mm. And it was great interest to see the way that my operas took in America. And there was never a failure. Never. They'd never heard anything no, like that. No, they the never repertoire. heard anything like Never. You took over. And it was always crowded and always most interesting. Was it the first time that French opera, contemporary I French so. opera, had been I think taken? so. It was always Italian. That's There's nothing in the world true. like French opera. Why do you say that? Oh, because it's so perfect. Is it that you particularly like the language and it appeals oh, to you? Oh, yes, I love it. I no more go on the stage and sing Carmen in English than I would go and throw myself in the river. And if anybody had ever asked you in those days to do Peleas at Covent Garden in English, you would have refused. Oh, rather. I'd have refused to have gone into the house. <laughs> I wouldn't care what they did. <laughs> you were a very great actress. Yes. Everyone who has seen you, I've spoken to a lot of people that was who my, saw that you. That was my strong thing, the actress. Now, why was it? You never had any training oh, as no, an actress. Not at all. Well, I'm how is it? With it? Somebody said to me the other day that you were very intellectual. Mm -hmm. Is that true? Yes, happily. Well, this same person said to me that your Carmen was unlike anybody else's. Happily. Yes, that Emma Kelvey didn't try to be a Spanish person. She couldn't. She's too fat. Now, well, why were you different from her? Oh, my dear, I was just born different. I don't know, she was a big fat Because lady. you had the figure. Yes, I never let myself get, never let myself get fat, never. If I didn't want to eat, I didn't eat. I didn't care about anything but my work, nothing, nothing. You created your roles, though, intellectually. I lived them. When you did Carmen, you went to Spain. You observed the women. You bought your Spanish coats. I bought the Spanish coats, but not in Spain. Not in Spain? Oh, I never was in Spain. I didn't need to. I knew what kind of people they were. I knew. The girl in Spain, uh, Carmen, she's a young Spanish thing. You know that. Yeah. You wouldn't bring her in as an old maid from... Aberdeen, you know Spanish women, you know Spain and the life they live. And she was only about 18, you see, Carmen. Oh, it was a lovely role. But all the men were good. You enjoyed rehearsals? Oh, rather. They didn't bore you? No, me. They made me laugh. <laughs> the things they wanted to do had nothing to do with Carmen. Did you enjoy singing concerts? No. Why not? Oh, I don't know. Kind of boresome. Well, it wasn't acting, no. was it? No. And you were known as the singing actress. Yes, that's right. And I you liked that title. I liked it. it Loved it. It fitted you. Oh, suited me down to the ground. Yes. I wasn't a coloratura or any of those things. I never could sing a coloratura role. That had nothing to do with me. Dramatic. I loved when I had an opera with a great dramatic uh, story. I love that. But to sing ha-ha and ho-ho and all those things, high notes, like, uh, what's her name? Oh, what's that woman's name who sang it all the time with me? Can't remember. I don't know. I can only think of Dame Nellie Melba at the moment. Oh, yes. Well, she was a wonderful singer in that sort of thing, but not in drama. Why not? Oh, I don't know. She was always Melba. 
always Melba. And I was never Mary Garden. Never. I was the woman that I was singing, or the girl, or whatever it was. Never Mary Garden, but she was always Melba. But she had to be. She had such a beautiful voice. But she had no dramatic talent, but a beautiful voice. Do you remember Tetrazzini? Yes. She was with our company for a long time. She was a coloratura. That's all she did. Could she act? Oh, she's a coloratura. <laughs> I heard a recording of her. Did you? And it sounded ravishing. Oh, it's pure. But no tragic. Nothing tragic. Everything was beautiful. Beautiful. Just like the sun. So beautiful. Do you hear the voices of today at all? Have you heard any of the operas or the, the singers? Kalas? Oh, yes, I've heard her. She's a little bit eccentric. She loses her temper. In your day, you weren't eccentric and you didn't lose your tempers. Never. Never lost my temper. I couldn't. All the singers with me were so anxious to do the right thing. They were all with me in every way. Yes. Especially the men. Oh, I loved to sing with those tenors, baritones. I had a wonderful career. And when the time came to stop, I said, this is the last. I decided myself, this is the last. And it was Penny Austin Medizon at the Opera Comique. I came back from Chicago yeah. to do that. And then you just gave up. And then I said, I'm done. Yes. When you get over the age of looking like what you're singing, then don't do it. You can't keep the character of the person who you're giving the public. You must give him exactly the personality that he has, or she. And you can't do it if you're like this. Don't want to. You have to always be at the top and anxious to get it right. I used to read every book that was ever written about the people whom I created, to find out every single solitary small thing that they used to do that perhaps nobody saw. I don't know. But that was my joy, reading the character that I was going to create. Don't speak about Marguerite and Faust. Poor old lady. Well, anyway. <laughs> Everybody in God's world has sung Marguerite and Faust. Yes, oh. I'm afraid you're right. Oh, my dear, you have to have young, fine singers and with intelligence to do that today. They're all sloppy and idiotic because it's a stupid opera, but you can make it very interesting. And she did. For this excerpt from Carmen is another of the recordings that survives, distorted but not altogether destroyed. Oh! 
Garden didn't enjoy singing concerts, nor did she enjoy making recordings. These are two reasons why she's comparatively unknown in this country. She made two films, though, both of them produced by Samuel Goldwyn. She once said that people who talked about the worst film ever made couldn't have seen her second one. It was called The Splendid Sinner. That's me, I suppose, she said when she heard the title. That's you, Mary, said Mr. Goldwyn. There is a third reason why she has remained comparatively unknown in this country. She sang only part of one season at Covent Garden. All her work was done in France, Belgium and the United States, her best work in Paris and Chicago. But wherever she went, she met and worked with some of the greatest names of the period. Singers like Shaliapin, producers like Tiagalev, composers like Prokofiev. We began this program with a musical quotation from Strauss's opera, Salome. Maddow Stewart asked Mary Garden about the man himself. When you met Strauss, mm -hmm. did you speak to him in French or German? French. He was very nice, a very pleasant man, that. Very difficult for uh, that his works were sung just as he wanted it. He conducted you, I think. Oh, very well. He was very good. Very. Great conductor. Mm -hmm. Great. Oh, my. Rather. Difficult. Why? Stopped you in the middle, you know, and said, that's all wrong. Oh. He criticized you Oh, rather. Did you mind being criticized? Not a bit. As long as he wanted it that way, you see. Because after all, I didn't write it. I don't know anything about it. I had to sing it as he wrote it. And that's why they don't do it. That's what made him angry. I used to see him often. It uh, rehearsals, because I used to go to all rehearsals and hear what the others did, see. Oh, he had an awful temper for his music. I like that. I like to be stopped and said, no, it's not that way, see. Then you come to your senses and you say, oh, yes, that's quite right. And then when you do it yourself, you see how perfectly placed with his music. That's the beauty. You created Salome. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, a dance in Salome. Uh -huh. Oh, that was a that was a dance of the of the age. It wasn't like today. Tell me about the dance you did in Salome. My own idea. I had to find out the dance of that century. When you create anything yourself, there's a great deal that one has to look at. They don't. They just dance their own way, the way they think they ought to. Salome was a very, very interesting person. Why was she so oh, interesting? Oh, because she was so different from anything I ever did. I just loved it. Oh, I just loved it. She was the opposite to Melisande. Oh, rather. Rather. Melisande was the pure milk. Strauss can play anywhere, in any theatre, in any opera house, and anything, but Debussy couldn't. And remember, this is a woman who, for a season, was director of the Chicago Opera Company, a season, admittedly, in which the company is said to have lost a million dollars. Her own comment at the time was, if it cost a million dollars, I'm sure it was worth it. We have a phrase nowadays, the climate of opinion. The climate of a prima donna's opinion is variable. Tell me about Massonet. Oh, an old woman. Just an old woman. Never 
happy, you know, always wanting to do something you don't want to. I don't pay any attention to it. And yet you loved his music. Oh, yes, rather. You created a lot of roles. Le Jongleur. Le Jongleur. Yes, I like that. Yes. Now I was a boy. <laughs> and you enjoyed singing that. Oh, very that. much. There's Is no I... lovemaking or any of that nonsense, you see. Just a young boy. And you preferred that. Uh, oh, in, in that opera. In that opera. But not in, not in uh, Pelias and Minnesota. No. That's a love story. Did Massonet ever try and change the way you did anything? No. Did any composer or conductor ever try and change? They didn't dare. They didn't dare? Scared Why to not? Death of me. They, you frightened everybody. Well, of course I did. Why not? They didn't know what I was going to do. And when I created a work, it was my creation, not theirs. They had nothing to do but just follow me. With, if he was in the orchestra. Did you ever make a wasn't in the orchestra. He never interested me. What he no. thought and what he didn't think. Make any difference to me. Because I sang for the public. And I had them just in my hands like that. It was wonderful. Not a, not a sound. No. Not a thing. All attention. Mary Garden, that Scots girl born in Aberdeen, who was taken from the front of the house to sing the role of Louise nearly 62 years ago, has retained throughout her life the qualities that armed her for that first performance. If you know what you're going to do, you have no reason to be nervous. About two months ago, I thought I was going to die. In fact, I was certain of it. Because every single solitary thing went out of my brain and everything, and I didn't know anyone, not even my sister. And so I stayed a long time with the doctors, and then little by little I got back my brain, and then little by little I'm getting back my voice. But I was just at the edge of my coffin in Aberdeen. Yeah. Just at the edge. Yes. And it didn't go. And I wouldn't have cared if I had died because I had nothing more to do. You've no fear of death? None whatsoever. None whatsoever. I was dead there in Aberdeen. The, all the doctors thought I was dead. I wasn't, huh? But I, I didn't die, you see. Here I am. Here she is, 84 years old and home again in her native Aberdeenshire. She has had brickbats as well as bouquets, but she herself can be franker and more scathing than any of her critics. Because of the role she sang, her name is written in small but indelible letters in the history of music. Most wonderful of all, perhaps, she never had any doubts. None that night in Paris, nor on any of the nights that followed for more than 30 years and certainly no doubts now. Oh, it was a beautiful career I had. It was quite different from a lot of people. Quite different. My art was my life. My art. Oh, it was lovely. And especially Pelleas. You've been listening to Prima Donna, a recorded conversation with Miss Mary Garden. Our interviewer was Meadow Stewart, and the narrator was Alistair Selway. The linking script was written by James Wilson, who also produced the programme, which was previously broadcast in the Scottish Home Service on the 28th of December. Thank you for listening to the Operatic Past Cast. Visit the website at 
operaticpastcast.com. This is your producer, Donald Cullop. Thank you.